0: Welcome to the NK News Podcast, recorded here in Seoul on September 27, 2018. I am your host, Jacko Zwetslut. And today we are doing something new, something different. I'm joined in the studio by Chad O'Carroll, founder and managing director of Korea Risk Group, under which umbrella NK News and NK Pro exist. Today, Chad and I are going to give listeners a taste of the North Korea A Month in Review, a product available exclusively to NK Pro subscribers. Hi, Chad, and thanks for joining me. Good morning, Jacko. Nice to be with you. Thanks for coming back. Yes, and can you tell our listeners a little bit about what NK Pro is and how is it different from NK News?
1: Yes, so um, NK News is our day-to-day news website, lots of news articles, opinion, um, sometimes some analysis from uh, academics like Steph Haggard or uh, John Everard. He's written for us in the past. NK Pro is designed more for people that work on DPRK issues. So Uh that can be people from government, from military, intelligence. Um, Then on the flip side, academics often use our NK Pro website, think tanks, research organizations, uh, media, and increasingly the corporate sector as well, sanctions, compliance, things like that. And I guess the main difference is... Um, besides cost, <laughs> the main difference is um, that NK Pro features a number of research tools and media monitoring services, which are really just designed for people that work in this sector to save time and uh, you know, connect the dots of information that's out there that they may not have necessarily realized can be connected
0: Okay, and can you tell us about North Korea, a month in
1: review? Yeah, so we launched this uh, last month. We're now in the second month of this, and the idea of it is really just to provide a synopsis of everything that's happened in the past 30 days or so, um, from uh, everything from foreign relations to human rights to nuclear. And in each section, we're trying to uh, also explain why these developments are significant. So, for example, uh, on the nuclear sector, we'll have like a why is this important for the business community and also for government. And in these sections, we try and tease out um, parts of the the recent developments that can be useful for those uh, from those communities to understand. And you might not think that there's necessarily a link between nuclear issues and what the business community can do in South Korea, but sometimes there is, and uh, we really try and and, and make that as clear as possible. And at the end of it, we also include uh, a look ahead at the five things that we think will be most important in the next month, which is quite tough.
0: Now, this month's report is uh, 29 pages long, uh, and after the executive summary, there's eight sections. There's uh, one on uh, inter-Korean relations, one on leadership there's two sections on foreign relations, one that focuses specifically on USDPRK and another one that focuses on uh, broader sanctions and implications. And then there's a section on uh, weapons of mass destruction, one on the economy, and the uh, second last one on human security, and the last one, as you mentioned, on the month ahead, what to expect. So today, we've uh, decided to talk a bit more about inter-Korean relations, the economy, human security, a bumpy ride for U.S. DPRK relations, and the month ahead. Let's see how much we can get through. All right. (laughs) We've set a big goal for ourselves. Okay, so inter-Korean relations. We've, of course, just had the third inter-Korean summit with a promise of a fourth before the year is out. Uh, We talked a bit about this last week in our Rough and Ready roundtable. Is there anything to add that we didn't talk about, anything more big picture in terms of summitry?
1: Well, I think the, the for me, the big takeaway from this inter-Korean summit was that a lot of people before Moon went up to Pyongyang were anxious that he, you know, things were not going to go well, that it would be tough to get results on this summit. But he's actually done quite a good job in balancing interests of the US with this inter-Korean diplomacy and the outcome has really, in a way, saved the day as far as what was really quite... Turbulent U.S. DPRK relations through August, especially after that fourth Pompeo trip was cancelled. So Moon again has played a very uh, catalytic role in reinvigorating relations between Pyongyang and Washington. He did this before, after the second summit uh, in uh, Panmunjom that was hastily organized in in May, when again things were going bad and it looked like Trump was going to cancel the Singapore summit. So. Yeah, I think that was the big takeaway from this recent inter-Korean summit. And um, the question is, how far can, how long can Moon keep playing this role? We saw going into this summit that his popularity ratings had been dropping to new lows. Right, here in South Korea. Yes, here in South Korea. And he's managed to flick them up by 10, 15% as a result of that summit. But these things are always short-lived. And we know in South Korea that there's demand for people, from people, for Moon to focus more on economic issues and recession. And so uh, will he always have the latitude to to sort of jump into the inter-Korean diplomacy to reboot things as and when is needed?
0: Yeah, I suppose there's a a little bit of a risk of uh, President Moon becoming a bit like uh, uh, Gorbachev back in the uh, the latter days of the Soviet Union, uh, where he was doing great on the international stage, uh, but back home he really didn't handle the domestic issues so well. And we're seeing that uh, President Moon's popularity is being affected in South Korea because of these domestic issues, so the, the high jobless rate and the uh, the sluggish growth and things. And it's these uh, when he strides the world stage that it gets a bit of an uptick again.
1: Yeah, I definitely think that, that could be a risk. And of course, he's also, we shouldn't forget in this past month, Two of the things that occurred were the opening of this inter-Korean liaison office and um, the failed attempt for, from South Korea to, to do this trial run on the uh, Gyeonggi line up to Sinuiju in North Korea, which was blocked by uh, UN Commander Vincent
0: Brooks. Yes, I wanted to talk about both of those. In fact, let's talk about the, uh, the liaison office. So That's been open, well, tomorrow will be two weeks since it's opened. And I understand there are some issues with oil supplied by the South.
1: Yes, yeah, so South Korea didn't get any sanctions exemptions to open this liaison office. And the argument for not getting them is a little bit awkward. Um, I've heard some South Korean officials state that, well, look up in Pyongyang, you have the Swedes, the Germans, Bulgarians, they've all got embassies and no one's screaming sanctions violations when they bring in supplies and you know hardware for their daily operations fair enough. The the issue though is, could you really describe an inter-Korean liaison office as having a diplomatic status mm. when you have two countries in the same office mm. and the supplies are being used, not just by South Korea, but by North Korea too. And then you get this whole fishy argument about the Korean constitution, which states that North Korea is just part of South Korea anyway. So h- how therefore would you have a diplomatic status in Kaesong when it's actually just south korean national territory anyway as far as the constitution is concerned
0: is that argument actually being used by the
1: south korean government no that part isn't um but the part about the the diplomatic status right. um what has been used the one thing that is notable though is that uh, foreign minister kang hyonghwa she said um one day before the foreign ministry said it didn't need a, a sanctions exemption that Uh, in some kind of hearing in Seoul that U.S. officials had told her that they weren't satisfied with this um, line of of, uh, explanation. So, yeah, it suggests that there's some friction with the U.S. And the the oil thing that you mentioned, the data that we saw from the Korea Customs Service in June and July showed that the South Koreans had shipped 82,918 kilograms of oil, um, ostensibly for, I, I believe, power generation,
0: yeah, I don't know how to measure that. How, how long can it last if you're running?
1: Well, I don't know if this is a like-for-like like comparison. It probably isn't. But yesterday I was looking into something separate and a Boeing 737 takes about 25,000 litres mm-hmm. of jet fuel and that will fly for uh, six, seven hours. Um, so that's, you know, we're looking at if it was like-for-like, like, we're looking at maybe three times that, which seems like a lot of energy to just keep the lights on. Um, in a uh, in an office. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. Although we don't know how long they. That's like, is that a monthly thing, or is that supposed to be for three months or half a year? That's true. We don't really know. And there's a, the other thing to be to wear to bear in mind is that uh, jet fuel and generator uh, fuel are uh, different are kinds different. of fuels that burn at different rates or something. Again, I, I'm totally not an expert in this. Now, to go back to the friction that you just mentioned, has anybody from the United States government um, or USFK, or even the, the representations of the United Nations, publicly said anything against the liaison office?
1: Possibly. I didn't come across it in my research for this. The only thing I did see was this this uh, remark by Foreign Minister Kang about, mm-hmm. about the fact that explanations on sanctions were not satisfactory. I mean, we've heard things on the grapevine, certainly, from sources, that there is... Uh, especially in August when things were not going well between the U.S. and North Korea, that um, people, officials in, in Washington were not happy with the the, right. the fact that South Korea is plowing ahead, not getting sanctions exemptions. Um, it doesn't exactly portray a, a clean image as far as uh, this effort to maintain maximum pressure and, and so on.
0: No, but despite the rumblings, it does look like they're trying to deal with it on a government-to-government level behind the scenes, rather than openly criticize or, or, or you know, call for.
1: So far, yeah, yeah, yeah. and
0: and now that the
1: the US DPRK thing's rebooted a bit, I think yeah. it will be overlooked for the short term.
0: Now onto uh, railway cooperation. Now, if a railway connection could be worked out between North and South Korea, and goods could be shipped from Seoul through North Korea to Russia, China, and onwards to Europe, and even Great Britain, what would that mean for freight transportation? Uh, it would, I imagine it would shave a lot of cost and time off of uh, shipping stuff from South Korea to the rest of the world, right?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, if you're able to ship from by rail from South Korea all the way up through North Korea onto China, you can access Russia, you can access Europe. Um, it would... It's a lot cheaper by uh, shipping by cargo train. Um, in terms of time, it's a lot quicker. You know, these these uh, ships can take weeks to get to Europe, um, so it would be a big game changer for sure. Um, and uh, just one example of of a sector that uh, we we've been discussing where there would be an interesting impact relates to energy. Um, I was talking to a uh, client uh organization recently and they told me that if this rail line got connected it would reduce south korean demand for gas products which are shipped in uh from countries like australia by about 30 percent a year because there would be uh south korea would be able to import lots by train from Russia mm. um, so it, it would have uh, some interesting impacts on the economy here for sure if if it was produced
0: yeah and geopolitically it would uh, change Korea's status from effectively being an island to actually being part of the Eurasian mainland again for the first time since nineteen
1: forty five yep which would have lots of welcome effects as far as food prices and things are concerned um, you know things like fruit are so expensive in South right. Korea. And I think part of it is just due to that lack of land connection.
0: Now, uh, there was supposed to be some kind of a test run of a train. I don't know if it's on the eastern coast or the west coast, but uh, because there's a a track on both sides of the Korean Peninsula. Uh, There was supposed to be a test run, but I understand there were some bumps in the tracks. What happened?
1: There was, yes. Um, It was meant to be a train that uh, South Korea was going to send up on a sort of, uh, was it seven or eight day journey, Uh, up to Sinuiju and back. And uh, it was going to be bringing all sorts of testing equipment, fuel supplies, and um, basically the UN command, which is responsible for the military demarcation line, DMZ, all of that stuff, rejected South Korea's paperwork to send the train up uh, citing some technical issues. And the question is, is this really a technical issue or is it like a political problem that is being excused as a technical issue and we don't know and it is that latter explanation would kind of fit with what we know to have been some of the grievances on the US side in the last month or so so
0: well, I spoke to a diplomatic source recently who is close to these kinds of matters who said to me repeatedly that it was simply that the uh, the South Korean government did not send the uh, the paperwork Within 48 hours, everything that goes through the demilitarized zone or the joint security area uh, has to be okayed by the United Nations command, uh, and that requires a 48-hour um, interval before the actual, you know, going through. And that, that the South Koreans were uh, playing a bit fast and loose with the time, tried to submit the paperwork within the 48 hours, so after that window had, uh, had closed, and uh, the UNC said, no, that's, um, that's too late.
1: So a South Korean source told me that that they understood the problem was that they that um, Brooks wanted detailed itinerary information of what the train would be doing once it crosses the border, but then that raises the question: why is that really UN Command's business? Because right. they're not responsible for the train once it goes once into bit, North yeah. Korea. So I, I don't know. It's 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 one of those things that will probably need archives to come out. In future, to really know what happened, but um, yeah, it it wasn't a good look for this lockstep Mm. alliance that we always hear about.
0: That's right. Uh, So, all in all, uh, in terms of north-south relations, what's the uh, the big takeaway here? What's the significance of it all? The last month,
1: Um, just that uh, they play the the relationship between north and south really is actually going to be a vital aspect of the denuclearization process going forward, and. You may may remember that in 2017, the North Koreans rejected talking to South Korea. They didn't want Mm. to talk to Moon
0: at all. That's right. Moon made lots of overtures. But Chairman Kim seemed to be very firm in, uh, you know, you do you and and we'll do us. And lots of insistence
1: on this being a U.S. DPRK problem by Pyongyang that should be negotiated bilaterally. But I think Kim Jong-un has realized now that actually – Moon is is a, is able to play a really supporting role in this process and um so i think moving forward that this is uh is something that should be welcomed as a as a support to this diplomacy but at the same time there is some risk in the sense that you know moon has his own issues to contend with and uh, mm. uh may not always be able to jump in to to save the day when things get bad between washington and pyongyang
0: all right, let's look at let's turn to the economy now. Kim Jong Un managed to find time between 70th anniversary celebrations, a summit meeting, and other diplomatic meetings to do some of his regular on-the-spot guidance, just as his father and grandfather did. And you write in the review that there's been a, a rural focus recently. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so um, Kim Jong Un did three appearance visits at the start of the period that we looked into for this month-in-review, which was August 18 through 21 i think there were three separate appearances and they were all in different rural parts of the country um and all of them would have required a fair bit of travel time for kim jong-un and we thought that was interesting because it goes against the grain of this common uh line you hear amongst a lot of north korea watchers that there's this Pyongyang mirage and everything else is really developing Mm. throughout the country and North Korea has actually very little interest in developing areas outside of the capital. But here he was yeah on one of his busiest months uh featuring I think it was nearly t- over 20 meet- diplomatic meetings yeah. um he still found t- time ahead of all of these uh September 9th festivities to to do these three inspection visits so just I think yeah just um it's a good reminder that 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 there are, there is stuff going on outside Pyongyang and the, the leadership recently uh has been quite uh embracing of of going to to see those sites.
0: Now, is this simply yet another sign that the uh, two-track sort of parallel Pyongyang line policy of nuclear weapons and economic development, that they're now focusing on the latter rail?
1: Uh, There's been a lot of economy stuff recently. Uh, Last year, sorry, last month when we did this initial month in review thing on the leadership section, Kim Jong-un had done a record number of appearances one with his shirt off as i recall yeah. <laughs> and uh overwhelming focus on sites of economic importance so yeah it definitely you know the the, the propaganda is all reflecting this this line these days kim jong un's appearances are reflecting this line uh you know there is always the possibility that all the nuclear stuff is still going on behind the scenes as yeah. usual yeah. we shouldn't forget that kim jong un said in his January 1 speech that the, the nation's ballistic missile and nuclear scientists should start mass producing ICBMs. Mm. But on the surface, at least, they're definitely supporting the line issued in, in April um, at that plenum meeting that the economy should now be the main focus. And there, there are some other interesting indicators that back up Policy preference, we just had the two trade fairs. We had one in Rasson in August. Yeah. Yeah, one in Pyongyang. And uh, the Rason one, we counted, uh, my colleague Hamish McDonald counted 114 companies uh, at the Rason one. And the Pyongyang one, um, according to official North Korean reporting, which we haven't been able to verify yet, there were 320 companies, which mm-hmm. when, when you look at the, the counts of all the previous ones – since 2007, this would be the highest ever number of companies at the uh, Pyongyang Trade Fair.
0: Were these all North Korean companies or were there foreign companies there
1: as well? So at the Rason one, it was uh, a mixture. I think 52 were North Korean firms, the rest foreign. So slight, slightly more foreign ones. Um, and at the... Pyongyang one, we haven't been able to go through our photos of of it yet on a booth by booth basis, which is what we always do on NK Pro and as a trade fair. But we do know that from the state media reporting and from some work by our colleagues over Associated Press that there were companies from New Zealand, mm. uh, Australia, Russia, China. Goodness. So a few a few foreign companies there, uh, lots of Chinese ones and. Lots probably of ignorance of sanctions.
0: Well, I was going to mention it. How do I mean, is this a strange thing? Two trade fairs within a month of each other, uh, for a country under so many sanctions and embargoes, and for there to be foreign companies present. What does that all mean?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think on the Chinese side, it may be. Two things. One is just people over don't care about the sanctions. Yes, yeah. I think China is definitely a special, exceptional situation. I mean, the the UN since January has prohibited all joint venture operations in North Korea. And I don't think there's been a single penalty for for anybody in breach of that. And the Chinese, there are just dozens of these joint ventures openly marketing their their work in the uh, in the trade fairs. Um, but then. Another part of it, I think, is ignorance. And uh, this may be a good point to mention that when Moon went to Pyongyang, he brought these 17 business leaders from the likes of Samsung, Hyundai. And one of the side effects of that, that we think is that, you know, when small companies that don't read news about North Korea every day, when they see that 17 of the biggest South Korean firms are in Pyongyang... They probably think, oh, it must be business is back to normal. Hmm. No, the sanctions have been lifted, and there's probably a, a very deep level of ignorance, and um, that can be an interesting side effect of these high-profile delegations Is that people just think, oh, well, you know, game on again. We can we can work in North Korea, no problem.
0: Yeah, tell us more about the uh, the visit by the big uh, the big Chewell heads that went north with uh, President Moon for the summit. Uh, which companies do we know were represented, and what did they get up to while they were there
1: so samsung l g Hyundai uh, we know c j group was there ostensibly the idea was to just talk to consider the potential of into economic projects mm. um we don't really know what happened in the meetings um, that they they had. Um, and there was recognition from the South Korean side. Um, presidential spokesman Yoon Yong-chan said that they're aware there's a certain limitation on the economic cooperation because of sanctions. But these all occurred within the framework of Seoul's new economic map initiative, which was announced last year. And uh, there were about 17 who went and we also know that there's there was a little bit of controversy surrounding their arrival because uh the government here in Seoul was uh, had to come out and state that the uh delegations hadn't been uh invited under pressure from North Korea to bring these table buses that they 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 come independently there's one sl- thing that the south korean didn't say there which is a little bit different in this case so if Say former president Pat Geun was going on one of her many trips to Washington, D.C. Yeah. Lots of Korean businesses would be vying to get in that plane to go with her. Right. And it would be a kind of competitive process in a way because there's lots of economic business opportunity that can come from going with a president. Yeah. That obviously doesn't exist in North Korea at the moment. And we understand that in this case, the Blue House, I think, selectively picked... Uh, proactively invited them rather than it be the other way around where the invite requests are coming from the Ball themselves.
0: Now how's the uh, North Korean won doing against the US dollar these days? Is it up, down or stable? So this is an interesting area because through 2017
1: and uh, much of this year even when pressure was really, really high the North Korean won was very, very um, stable against the US dollar. Now as Many of our listeners know there are two exchange rates in North Korea. There's the official one, which runs about 121 to the dollar. And there's the unofficial one, which runs about 8,000 to the dollar. Mm. But actually, one of our NK Pro contributors, Benjamin Silberstein, noticed in August that the rates had gone up to about according to the Daily NK, to 8,280 from eight thousand, And then one of our sources gave us a data point of 8,400 on August 19th. I mean, it's still relatively modest. yeah um, it's,
0: it's, it's a less than 10% drop, isn't it, in value?
1: Yeah, but it's, it's strange because it's just been so, so stable for mm. the past uh, year and a half. It, yeah, it's just it's just strange that it's happened. All. Yes,
0: I suppose given all the sanctions that were imposed, to see a change now is odd, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and it also comes after a uh, a much bigger rise on euro and dollar exchange rates, which occurred in uh, winter time through early spring this year. The 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 price went up by about ten fifteen percent, I seem to remember. Um, so I don't know but one thing we do know is that during our trip to Pyongyang recently um, it, it was really vividly clear that people didn't want to take euros there was just a lot of demand for dollars uh, in a taxi a couple of times we tried to pay in Euros and they ah. said no 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 give us dollars. Um in the hotel they insisted on us paying in, in dollars um in the young Acto. Insisted. Yeah. Well, so it, it
0: almost suggests that they're afraid of not being able to get rid of their Euros.
1: Yeah, it's odd. And and then we were told if we really want to use Euros you're gonna get a one to one rate with the dollar, so you're gonna lose Goodness. you're gonna lose on that big time. So our guide even said, I highly recommend you, you, you
0: change these. And so we did. But yeah, this... this... Which is a big change because when I was there in 2010 and also last year, it was always euros right. that was preferable. Yeah. Uh, very few places would actively ask for dollars.
1: Yeah. And three diplomats on, on the ground in Pyongyang, two of them told me that they'd really noticed this as well in recent weeks. But one of them said to me it had been like that the whole year he'd been there. So it's hard to know
0: so what's the big takeaway uh, big picture from the uh, North Korean economy um that it seems to be
1: doing pretty well given the circumstances um, that the, the economic focus seems pretty real uh, and it's leading to development in the countryside etc and from the chaebol bosses the conglomerate bosses who've who've gone there yeah. it does seem to be sending the message from South Korea that Seoul stands ready to to embrace massive economic cooperation with the North if and when circumstances allow.
0: None of them have as yet announced any plans,
1: I imagine. No, but um, many of them do have the North Korea research teams uh, that they've spooled up since this sort of early spring when diplomacy started picking up. Right.
0: Well, right, let's move on to uh, human security. And we've got... You've chosen three subtopics here, one of them prisoners, the other one family, and the third one being floods. Yes. So prisoners, uh, foreign citizens imprisoned in North Korea, who has Pyongyang set free recently?
1: So 39-year-old Japanese national Tomoyuki Sugimoto, he was released uh, on August 26th, and he is a... He was on a a tour through North Korea and was arrested. News of his arrest came out around August ten. So he was released within two weeks, and during that process, we suspected that he would actually be facing much longer uh, jail time than has actually emerged. So some of the do we know
0: what his uh, ostensible
1: crime was? So I've spoke to several sources familiar with this, and um, one of them said that the issue was. He was acting rather suspiciously throughout the tour. I've got photos of him. Every every photo I've seen during that tour, he wears sunglasses, an all black outfit, and this like bonnet hat. Um, He was not taking part in any group photos during the entire trip, which was several weeks long. He had two or three cameras on him at all times, um, including this kind of one on a joystick, a GoPro around his neck. He'd been there multiple times, and I understand always looking a bit out of sorts um, from the rest of the travelers. Mm. And apparently, in Nempo, uh, near the end of the tour, he took photos of a uh, military checkpoint. And as you know, in North Korea, that's a big no-no. Mm-hmm. And and that that served as the trigger for his arrest. But it 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 does come on on this sort of canvas of of uh, kind of unusual behavior throughout the last several weeks of the tour. And, um yeah, it's 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 interesting because, obviously, Japan-DPRK relations are not great, and they dis- they were really in pretty bad uh ways throughout August. And so that the Japanese government was able to secure his release after just two weeks is quite
0: remarkable and surprising. In, that, that would have been, I imagine, through some kind of intermediary, perhaps the Swedes or somebody like that.
1: Well, we understand the Japanese foreign ministry was going to the North Korean embassy in Beijing ah. on a regular basis during that time to try and sort it out, and
0: they did. So- and maybe as a result of all this, or perhaps this is a catalyst, uh, yesterday we saw Shinzo Abe in, uh, in New York at the United Nations General Assembly saying that he's willing to uh, normalize relations with North Korea, willing to sit down with Kim Jong-un. So perhaps we're seeing a thaw in North Korea-Japan relations now. You wouldn't
1: know that looking at North Korean state media, though. Mm. Uh, I have an an alert set up for the word Japan on our KCNA Watch website. And Mm -hmm. every time there are stories about Japan, they get emailed to me and I've just been getting dozens of them and all of them extremely negative. Again, we know that North Korean media is not always the best reflection of what's actually going on in the government level there.
0: True. Now, who is still held there in North Korea, so far as we know, in terms of uh, foreign citizens?
1: So this is this is um, this Japanese case really hammered home the fact that we've now had three inter-Korean summits, And yeah. yet there are still six South Korean nationals mm. in jail in North Korea. And um, these are not six who are all arrested at once. They're, they're, they're several separate cases, I think maybe four, three or four cases. Um, And uh, what's remarkable is that we've had the return of three Korean American citizens Mm. prior to the Singapore summit to the US. We've had the Japanese uh, Sugimoto released after two weeks. And yet, despite all this really warm relationship between uh, Seoul and Pyongyang, Mm. Moon has had no luck in bringing these people home. And he, he did bring it up. Uh, at one of the summits Mm -hmm. um, but apparently no no joy there and the other odd thing is that these six South Koreans most of them have been linked by South Korea by North Korean media to the National Intelligence Service the South Korean Spy Service I see and yet Sa Hoon the who is the chief of the NIS spy service he's been one of the regular participants in this shuttle diplomacy to the North met Kim Jong-un several times And yet still no progress on this is quite... And and no one talks about it in South Korea. Families are not speaking. Mm. You never see it in the media here. When you look at how media responded in America to uh, Otto Warmbier and even the less controversial cases, you know, there was always campaigns to bring these people back. And it just, in South Korea, you wouldn't know that anyone was arrested. And I think a lot of the general public probably aren't aware of that either.
0: Now, uh, on to family reunions. Uh, Almost 200 North Koreans and a similar number of South Koreans were able to see uh, their long-separated family members at the Kumgang Mountain Resort. Uh, These reunions have been on again, off again, for almost two decades now. Uh, In 2008, South Korea paid for and built a 12-story center that was set to function as a permanent venue for reunions but was never used. So after the third Kim Moon Summit, where are we now with these reunions? We...
1: Have uh, heard that the South Koreans would uh, invest in rehabilitating the family reunion center in Kumgang. Uh-huh. They've announced uh, 33.6 billion won to support, which is about thirty uh, something million US dollars. This is a 12-story building in Mount Kumgang that was built in 2008. It was yeah. never really finished. Because that
0: woman uh, was uh, tragically shot. Yes. Uh, a South it, Korean woman on the tour was shot and that was the end of all the tours to Kumgang-san.
1: Yeah. So this is, this is uh, if it goes ahead, um, then this can be a, a place to facilitate sort of highly regularized family reunions. And there was also commitment from both sides to start doing online video messages and things like that to be exchanged between the two sides um just again though will south korea apply for sanctions exemptions to do this um there's a very good argument that it should because this sounds like it's going to be a quite major construction project and it will involve a lot of metals and uh hardware that is likely to fall under oh. some of the HS codes that are currently sanctioned. So yeah, we'll have to see. But there'll be probably some small business opportunities for firms in South Korea to, to take part oh, yeah. in this.
0: Now Flooding in North Korea. North Korea is prone to summer floods, partly because of poor agricultural and reforestation planning over the decades. What happened this year?
1: Uh, so, yeah, this year we had a, a really significant heat wave in August, uh, temperatures up to 40, but then, in contrast, really massive rains. Uh, we had the typhoon, uh, Solik, Solic that came uh, didn't really do too much in South Korea, but yeah. uh, really torrential rains in the North. Huh. And uh, according to UN OCHA, Office of the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, some 86 North Koreans died and 65,000 had been displaced. The North Korean media never actually released any figures on, on the precise impact, but you know, it's quite, quite significant. So um, there was also some really bad... Damage from the flooding for uh, the highway Pyongyang uh, Kaesong highway we did some satellite imagery analysis of of that um and uh, yeah there's been uh, Red Cross have earmarked some two hundred and thirteen thousand dollars to help with the re- rehabilitation process mm. but that's quite a small amount you know part of the the focus is also on human rights not just human security in this monthly roundup, but really very few developments in the human rights sector in the past month that um, were of note. And it it may just be a lot of the NGOs were sort of winding down for the summer, August season. Um, But certainly it should be said that the the governments in Washington and uh, in Seoul are not exactly promoting this subject at full force these days.
0: Right. They do seem to take a back seat when there's uh,
1: negotiations underway, don't they? Right. So um, it, it it it's likely to mean that in the months ahead that uh, at least at a government level, there are not going to be any major new initiatives. And South Korea hasn't had a human rights ambassador now for ooh, nine months, maybe. Mm-hmm. Ambassador Lee uh, was the, the last one. And of course, the U.S. has dropped his special envoy for human rights issues as well for several months now began the uh, new special envoy is not right Stephen to, began yes he's not going to be likely to take that portfolio up i would imagine so what is his role special envoy for north korea so uh that's basically doing leading negotiations it, you know it will mean that pompeo shouldn't be the one that goes to Pyongyang for all this shuttle diplomacy as Secretary of State. There'll actually be a dedicated North Korea lead for that.
0: I want to return to Pompeo in just a second. but So just wrapping up uh, the human security and human rights issues, what's the wider significance of it?
1: Um, In terms of wider significance, I think just, again, this fact that there are these six South Koreans still in prison in the North, there's something strange going on there. It does to me at least, suggests that the North Korean allegations that they are f- have NIS connections could be mm. true. This may be why they're not being released. They were arrested under the Park Geun-hye uh, administration uh, when relations were really, really bad. So they, it's possible they, they're linked to NIS forces from that era, which the North was probably very unhappy with. The other thing that sort of comes from that is about the uh, fact that the North Koreans while the south koreans are not pressing the north on this issue of the six prisoners the north koreans have also not been pressing the south on the family restaurant workers the restaurant
0: workers since right. July so that but there was a story that a couple of them have now got passports was there not yes yes how
1: was that a week or two ago there was uh yeah i think it was 2 weeks ago it, there was an update which said that they'd all been issued passports all of them uh, hmm. but then there was still question mark as to whether or not they can travel to Uh, to overseas countries, Hmm. whether they'd need permission or...
0: So we'll have to keep an eye on that in the coming weeks and months to see whether they actually travel or whether they choose to remain in South Korea. Just sort of a final... Thing we, we don't have a lot of time to focus fully on it, but uh, US DPRK relations. You just mentioned the new uh, special envoy from the US to uh, the DPRK, Stephen Began, uh, and that he, in theory he would be taking over some of the the burden of uh, of dealing with North Korea uh, from uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. But uh, Mike Pompeo is uh, planning to you know uh, to take a trip, the one that was cancelled last month. Um, what, what's uh, what's going on there? Yeah, so he's
1: stated since this inter-Korean summer that he's uh, looking to go again soon. And I think most likely that trip will serve two purposes. One, to introduce Began to the North Koreans officially.
0: Ah, uh, so they'll be going together?
1: I would imagine so. He, Began was meant to go on the last one that was cancelled second thing is i strongly suspect that trip will be laying groundwork for a second trump kim summit and there has been talk of that even taking place as early as october uh one rumor one of my colleagues heard about yesterday was that it could even take place in south korea in the uh three-way summit or dmz We, uh, we we really don't know much yet on that but uh it does seem the u.s are very interested in those commitments the North Korean offered. I mean, if they, if the North Koreans were to shut down all of Yongbyon, mm-hmm. which contains plutonium reprocessing and uranium enrichment ah, facilities, okay, that that's, that is a you know it's a, it's it's not the end of the nuclear program. There are still other sites, right? But from an arms control perspective, it would slow slow down DPRK capability of producing more fissile materials and. If, you're, if you want to be realistic, that's, uh, that's definitely something that should be welcomed in the short term. And uh, it seems the US want to try and, and, and do that. But again, the problem is, will there be enough flexibility on the Washington end to offer concessions that will be attractive to North Korea?
0: So it looks like an interesting period in US DPRK relations is about to begin. Uh, apologies to <laughs> the special envoy there. Uh, so finally, uh, what do you expect from the month ahead? Well, the UNGA, that's already
1: started to take place. Lots of speeches there. That
0: was yes, a- Ri Yong-ho is there, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Is that his second trip? I know he was there last year, saying many strong word, uh, yes. strongly worded statements. Yeah. Uh, it's a happier feeling now, mm-hmm. I suppose. Um, has he spoken yet Or is that still to come
1: I believe it's still to come um, We've had Trump obviously He he did a bit of fire and fury On Iran this year
0: Yes Iran is the target of his ire But North Korea Only kind words for Kim Jong-un
1: Yeah Then we've got the resumption Of US DPRK talks As we've just said Pompeo yeah. Um, and, of course, uh the potential planning for this next summit, one of the things uh we thought you might start seeing are some initial indicators surrounding North Korea's pledge to dismantle the Tongchang. SOHE rocket launch engine test facilities now when when it came to the return of the MIAs which North Korea pledged could be done immediately after the Singapore summit it actually took 45 days for that to realize so if you look at the similar timeline from the pledge of the Pyongyang summit by the end of the next month we maybe will start seeing the seeds invitations to journalists to experts to come and, and watch this uh Dismantlement activity then we also thought there should be a uh case kicking off in the courts in Singapore to investigate o c n the luxury goods ah. company accused of selling luxury goods to North Korea uh, tea specialist and his boss uh, leo Ng, uh, that was scheduled to kick off september twenty seventh but for the second time in two months the case mysteriously got dropped. Oh,
0: dropped, you say? Not pushed back, but dropped completely? Well,
1: well, it's we couldn't find it on any court schedules yesterday. Um, so we've put a press inquiry in with the Singaporean government to ask about that, but it's been delayed once and the status now, one would assume it's just being delayed again. But uh, interesting that this, this happens and you, you do wonder whether governments around the world have interest in prosecuting historic, sanctions incidents when diplomatic relations are going quite well.
0: Um, anything else to add for the next
1: month? Just Party Foundation Day is coming up, October 10th. That'll be the 73rd anniversary. Um, this is... Actually, the Party Foundation 2010 was when Kim Jong-il introduced Kim Jong-un to the world. Mm. So there are sometimes big military parades, but as it's the 73rd anniversary, it's going to be a very modest affair. Yeah, they're like their fives and tens, don't they? Exactly. So... Uh, it it is the last day of the mass games, though. Oh, oh, it's actually finishing. Mm -hmm. All right.
0: Okay, well, thank you, Chad O'Carroll, for giving us some selected highlights from this month's excellent and information-packed North Korea a month in review. This feature and many more are available to NK Pro subscribers, so if you're already an NK News subscriber, consider updating to NK Pro, and if you are not yet an NK News subscriber, then consider a one-year subscription. You'll find that it really is full of valuable stories, information, and photographs fresh from the North. And we'll be back next week with another podcast. Till then. Goodbye.